Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I hope you've had a nice, cozy, celebratory time with your family or your chosen family, whatever, for whatever holiday you celebrate, Yule or Christmas or Kwanzaa or the New Year, which may not be the New Year for you. And I just saw a TikTok recently. My wife sent it to me. This guy was saying the powers that be had like nefarious intentions with having the new year be in the dead of winter. And I guess the idea was just that like all these people will think that it's time to be motivated and doing more and pushing themselves to make resolutions, but then that'll just make them feel bad about themselves. And now in modern day society, it just makes us consume more and to try to make ourselves feel better. And all of that is sort of created by some, like I said, nefarious powers that be. I am very careful with conspiracy theories because I've watched my family and friends like go so far left that they've gone all the way right, if you know what I mean. You know, I I don't know exactly what that guy is getting at, but it is an interesting concept that so many people celebrate the new year at this time when it's not a jazzy time for us. It's a very reflective time. It's a time to marinate. It's an incubation time. I don't know. Food for thought. I'm just telling you because really it helped me to hear that because I can be really hard on myself as a Capricorn, especially so I can feel like I have to do a million things and I have to be way better than I was before. And the underlying message of what that guy was saying in his TikTok is just like, be nice to yourselves. You don't have to get up and then feel bad about not going to the gym or something I'm trying to do is be really gentle in the way that I view my resolutions. So before it used to be this like long list, you know, it'd be like a scroll that you would unravel of all of my resolutions. It was just no one person could ever do that in one year, which is impossible. And so this year it's like three or four things. And part of that is because I've gotten older, I have a wonderful partner who's always like helping me focus more on what my calling is. But part of that is just that the pandemic taught us, I think, a lot of us, how to listen to what's going on inside our internal guidance system. Just be kind to yourself at this time of year, at any time of year. But this is a big shame moment in the Gregorian calendar. A lot of people feel shameful about what they haven't done and shameful about what they can't just like miraculously create a habit of immediately upon the first day of the year. It doesn't just happen like that. If it happened like that, you would have done it already, you know? And on that, we have a full moon coming up on Friday and it's a full moon in Cancer. You've got all of that emotional, heavy energy of cancer, which is always going to make you look away from the thinking mind, away from logic and rationale. It's going to move you toward your heart. And it's going to say, hey, is all this stuff that you're pressuring yourself to do or other people are pressuring you to do or, 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 is that lining up with your heart? We also have Mars in retrograde and Mars is the planet of action. And that's until January 12th. And on top of that, Mercury is also in retrograde, and that's until January 18th. So we're going backward with communication, and we're going backward with action in a full moon in Cancer. So what is the bottom line here, everyone? Be very careful about communicating. Focus a lot on communicating with yourself, with your inner being, with your guides. Focus on inaction as opposed to action. You know, if you're thinking about doing, 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 make sure you leave more time than usual for being. And the coolest thing about the Espets, these full moons, is that you can use the intrinsic energy of cancer to your benefit. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. Astrology, the Espets, the Sabbaths, they're all there just for us to reflect and grow and listen so that we can make good choices when we do take action. Or you could just hold on to your butts. All right, so let's talk about today's guest, Chris Amandier. 
Chris is a paranormal researcher and the host of Buried Secrets podcast, a podcast about the paranormal, the occult, and weird and forgotten history. Their writing has been published in The Feminine Macabre, Volumes 1 and 2, and they live in Queens, New York, with their wife and a friendly ghost, which you will hear about in this episode. We have a lot of the same ideas and theories about the paranormal, so it's refreshing when you can kind of ping-pong with somebody who is on the same wavelength as you. I'll just let you listen, but we talk about ghost stories and The Exorcist, UFOs, Goatman's Bridge. We also talk about their haunted apartment and a bunch of other really weird shit. I broke this conversation up into two parts, even though it's not that long, because I'm trying something out in the new year with shorter episodes just to kind of see how it feels for people. So here is part one of my chat with Chris Amandier. Let's get into the wind. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am good. So I usually start with your woo background. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you get into paranormal stuff? And I know, like, you you didn't get into, like, witchcraft and stuff, I don't think, when you were younger. You didn't have that track at all. So how did you start? Yeah. So I guess first, I was raised Catholic, which I think you've talked about on the show before as being a thing. So that was number one. Number two, you know, I'm from Texas, and that's the Bible Belt. So there's kind of a surprising number of people who have some kind of interesting beliefs about some of the paranormal things at work in the world. Um, So I think that had a big impact on me just being from there and like knowing people who would speak openly about demons and all sorts of kind of supernatural forces. So I think that just kind of made me think like, well, Maybe there is something else like, you know, that we can't see. Um, Also, I have relatives who have seen ghosts and those stories are told pretty matter of factly in my family. For example, my grandpa, who, as far as I'm aware, was always an atheist. He had stories about like seeing a ghost in a house that they lived in in Dallas. And my uncle saw this ghost as well. So I think just being in a space where the possibility of the paranormal was like more than a possibility, kind of just a lot of people felt like there was something else going on, made me really interested in it. And speaking of people kind of like encountering weird things, in middle school, I had a teacher who saw some lights in the sky, some unidentified lights, and then he got it on film and then went on basically this quest to like prove that he saw something. And I don't know if he thought it was a UFO or like a government project or what, but it kind of drove him not completely off the deep end, but a little bit where he became like very paranoid and he felt like people were after him. And he like gave several of us like CDs with the video like burned onto it in case they got him. So definitely like my upbringing feels like it was somewhat surrounded by people who were pretty into this sort of thing, just, you know, as a matter of course. And then when I left Texas, I came to New York City and moved here to go to college. And I went to like an infamously haunted college where part of the exorcist was filmed. So you know, in out of the frying pan into the fire, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I love yeah. how, and I think we talked about this in the pre-call too, mm-hmm. like how the paranormal can kind of bring groups that would never identify with each other at all together. Right. And I think it's kind of funny that, you know, it doesn't matter like what political affiliation or religious affiliation. When you talk about ghosts, it's really not that uncommon for people to say like, this is a matter of fact thing that I saw for sure. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, you know, like being from Texas, that conversation feels like it happened a lot. And then I moved here and people are much more skeptical here. But still, you'll talk to someone, you know, in New York City who's like, oh, I don't really believe in that kind of thing. And then they'll tell you a story about a ghost that was in like their childhood home or whatever. So it's it's pretty interesting how like even when people are like, no, I don't really believe that stuff. Suddenly they have like a better story than I have. That happens all the time to me. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it was really funny. I, I don't know if you listened to this episode or not, but I think it's called Updates and UFOs. And I was just hanging out with my aunt, my great aunt, who's in her 70s. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was last year. We were just chit-chatting and they're asking about the podcast. And my aunt just out of fucking nowhere says, <laughs> oh, I've seen a UFO. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> 
And she's like, yeah, head on. I mean, really close. And it wasn't one of those like, oh, we just saw lights. It was like she saw a craft. That's so wild. Close. And what, what was so fascinating to me is that she said back in the past, like, I don't really believe in that stuff or not necessarily that she doesn't believe in it, but that it just wasn't on her radar. It's not something that she focused on. And I think this is the case for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And she had never told anyone, not even her husband, her kids. And I was like, how is this happening now? And she's such a matter of a fact, classy woman, you know, and and it was just so unusual to hear that. So yeah, I think it happens a lot like that. I think so. And I almost, I don't know if you get this. I find sometimes when weird things happen to me, if I don't write it down right away, my brain almost like erases it until someone mentions something that I'm like, oh, right. I had something like that happen. And so I wonder if that's what happened with your aunt, where like, because y'all were talking about it, it came up, but maybe it kind of just like was dormant in her brain until then. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's kind of the thing too. Like I have friends who are my memory a lot of the time. I'll be like, oh, hey, Mm -hmm. like hold on to this, would you? Because, or, you know, I will write it down as well. But a lot of times they'll remember a thing better than I will because I told them right away and then Mm -hmm. totally forgot it. Yeah. My wife and I are like that. She's like, she's always reminding me like, no, remember this weird thing happened. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that actually reminds me of something somebody said yesterday in an interview, which is that this is sort of related. Like when you, and I don't know if this has happened to you, like when you're Mm -hmm. with even a group of people and you experience something that is like in that moment, like there is no explanation for it. It is paranormal. Right. And it's like, probably in the middle of a ghost hunt, which means it's like in the middle of the night or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you're so certain. And then the next day, like as time goes on, you're like, well, maybe it didn't, you know, even if it's a shared experience. Right. It's like why our memories are so interesting when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. It's almost like they, our memory just want to overwrite it and be like, no, that doesn't fit with the rational view of the world. So just delete that memory. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of, you know, memory, do you remember like your first paranormal experience? It was probably in college. Like there there was nothing super super dramatic to me that ha- like that happened to me in college, but definitely there were some weird things, like strange sounds that like my roommate and I could hear but no one else could hear. There was an incident like in college where I was living in this building that used to be a morgue or it was like a medical school building. And there was like a morgue type area in the basement where they would keep bodies and a laundry room was down there. Yeah. It was, it was a terrifying place to live. Truly. (laughs) Uh, There used to be like, you know, operating theaters where like bodies would be dissected in that building. It was a creepy place to live, but there was like an incident, like where I was in the laundry room in the basement near where the bodies had been kept. And like, I just felt someone right behind me. And of course, every time I looked, there was no one there. So like a lot of experiences like that in college, where I was just like, this is weird. Something feels off. But I didn't really have a good explanation for it other than the campus was supposedly very haunted, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to come back to more of your experiences and maybe I can kind of chip away at that memory a little bit by asking more specific questions. But the campus, Mm -hmm. you said Exorcist was filmed there. You know, here's the thing. My listeners probably know this, but like I watched The Exorcist too young and it fucked me up so bad. I still will not watch that fucking movie. I've never watched it. I've seen clips of it. I've never actually seen it. Absolutely not. No, I'm not going to watch it. (laughs) What do you know about it? Like about the exorcist or about the filming of the exorcist there? Well, the filming of the exorcist there and sort of like, because you were there, I mean, did you just know sort of the history more than the average person? Yeah. So in terms of the filming of the exorcist there, so I went to Fordham university in the Bronx. It's like a smallish private Catholic school, Jesuit school. And so first off, The Exorcist was, you know, the film was based on a book. The author of that book went to a Catholic high school in New York City, and then he went to Georgetown. And at both that Catholic high school and at Georgetown, he was taught by this priest who encouraged him to look into the story of this exorcism, which ended up being the exorcism that inspired, you know, like the real life exorcism that inspired The Exorcist. And basically under this priest, like because of this priest's urgings, this author, William Peter Blatty, wrote The Exorcist, you know, did the research, wrote The Exorcist. And that priest ended up at Fordham, 
not while I was there. I think he had died by the time I was there. So like Fordham always had this strong connection to the exorcist literally because like the priest who had been like, hey, you should really research this exorcist and exorcism and like write about it and stuff. He was there. A couple of the priests at Fordham were in the film. One had a speaking role in the film. And that priest has since been like, you know, like sexual abuse allegations have been, have come out against him. So like there's, you know, a complex history there as with many Catholic institutions. But yeah, part of The Exorcist was filmed at Fordham. There are stories about things that supposedly happened during the filming, like supposedly the cemetery on campus had a lightning strike a tombstone, which I don't think I really believe that one. Supposedly a black dog was seen on campus during the Mm. filming. I'm a little skeptical of that one too. But I did live in one of the buildings where part of The Exorcist was filmed and it was like creepy. You know, and I, and The Exorcist is set at Georgetown, so it was, you know, not supposed to be at Fordham, but it just ended up having all these connections there and like multiple uh, scenes were filmed there. The okay. connections to the priest, too, was was weird. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. So and here's the thing. I, mm-hmm. I'm kind of an oddball. I'm going to forget if we talked about this or not, but I don't love horror me neither yeah okay i can't watch horror movies me neither like i did i can watch like a couple of the american horror stories but i have Mm -hmm. to close my eyes for like half of them anyway i love coven i thought that was like amazing but like this new jeffrey dahmer thing that came out like any of that shit no thank you you know so i don't actually know so when you say research about that exorcism was there actually like a remarkable exorcism that inspired that. I yes, thought there was. There okay. was. I think the the name that you hear is Roland Doe. I don't think that was the the kid's real name. But yeah, there was like a whole real life exorcism of like a young boy who had to be exorcised. And I think a lot of, I think the priest who did the exorcism or was involved in the exorcism kept really meticulous notes and stuff. And I think it was, I want to say 1949, it was like the mid 20th century when this happened. And it was like a big case. And I think the priest who like encouraged William Peter Blatty to look into it, I think he was, he was just like, oh, it's really interesting. You should look at this exorcism case. And I think it's pretty well known now. I'm not sure how well known it was at the time. I assume it became a lot more famous because of the exorcist being inspired by it. Mm, Fuck that movie. (laughs) Fuck that book. Fuck that movie. Right. I do have to ask you, though, since we're on the topic Mm -hmm. and you started out as a Catholic human, right, a a practicing Catholic, what do you think of of exorcisms? Because that's a really uh, controversial topic in our sort of land of woo. Right. I mean, I find it very interesting. Like, I'm no longer a practicing Catholic, but definitely through high school, I was like very engaged in Catholicism and very interested in Catholicism. And I learned that exorcism was still a thing actually at my church's like Wednesday night prayer group for teenagers. It was led by the youth minister at our church. And he was really, really cool. Um, He had been in seminary and then he left because he wanted to have a family. And one week he was just telling us all about how exorcism is a real thing. The Catholic church still does it. They try to keep it quiet. And it was just fascinating to me to have someone who was affiliated with the church, you know, not an actual priest, a lay person, but someone who had gotten a lot of the training kind of just talk about it. And in my some of the research I did on Fordham and the Exorcist, I did read some interviews with priests from back in the day. And for a long time, Catholic priests, it sounds like they were all trained in a way that made them qualified to do exorcisms, whether or not they actually practiced them. I guess it was just part of the training for a long time into, I think, like maybe the mid 20th century. So to me, it's very interesting from almost like a theological standpoint, from an actual paranormal standpoint, and like me now, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't really know how I feel about exorcisms, just because a lot of that sort of thing, if you go like too far down that road, I in, I feel like there ends up being a lot of like weird homophobia and stuff, like maybe not in Catholicism, but just like in Christian <laughs> exorcisms and deliverance and that sort of thing. So I start to get like, feel like a little bit iffy and weird about some of that. But I find the history of the Catholic Church and exorcism very interesting. What do you think about the possibility of being possessed, though? Do you think it's possible or do you think that it's because this is so Mm -hmm. hairy, right? Like everybody has such a strong opinion on this. It's like, can you be actually fully possessed in the way that like they portray in movies like The Exorcist, where it's like a very physical thing? 
Or is it just sort of a mental thing that could be categorized as some kind of mental health issue? Question mark. You know, so what do you think? (laughs) I honestly, I just don't know. It's one of those things where it seems really complicated. It almost feels like tied to just whatever that person's religious background is. It's almost like if you believe that you can be possessed, maybe you can be possessed. I don't, I don't really know, but that's kind of where I end up kind of falling. Like when I hear stories, that people tell and they really believe it. I have trouble not believing them, but also at the same time, I'm kind of like, I don't know. It often feels like it's cover for something else or like maybe, yeah, maybe this person should be getting mental health care. And if they still are feeling like they're possessed, then they can get additional help. I know with the Catholic church, my understanding is that they try to do exorcisms very, very seldom. And they try to rule out all the mental health stuff and everything first, because a lot of the time it is more just a you know, someone needs some healthcare uh, rather than an exorcist. But yeah, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't either. But I think you're onto something with like what you believe is the thing that sort of manifests in quote unquote reality for you. Right. And possibly for other people, depending on how connected they are to your quote unquote physical experience, which is so complex because now we're getting into like quantum theory, you know, Mm -hmm. like this idea that like I'm observing a thing. So I'm actually affecting the thing itself. Right. And it and it gets here not just because of like this one thing, but also anything like Mm -hmm. any fucking thing that we do in our lives. Like you can get really lost in that, like the philosophical and physics. It is science. You know, right. it's, it's just a weird science. <laughs> yeah. If you were to have a bunch of people at a ghost hunt who totally believed in ghosts, mm-hmm. would that mean you would be more likely to have an experience or not because the belief was so strong? Right. Yeah. Like, can it manifest something? You could also just notice something that someone who doesn't believe in ghosts would just dismiss. Like there's like the kind of like metaphysical aspect, but also the just like observation mm-hmm. and like what you make things mean when you yeah. see them. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's fascinating. It is fascinating. And here here's where I think like humans specifically get really hung up on this as opposed mm-hmm. to potential other entities. It's like we think 3D and like physical because of how lowly our brains are, like we're just not evolved enough. And so it's hard for us because we're like, oh, well, are there actual physical beings on other planets? And it's possible, and this comes up a lot in these these interviews and stuff, is like it's possible that it's like interdimensional and we just don't understand because time may not be linear there which means mm-hmm. that space is not either. So it's kind of like almost you saying, well, yeah, like the Fae exist and they're like real and physical like us. It's almost like that that doesn't even really possibly make any fucking sense. Right. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I so often feel like all of this is so much weirder and more incomprehensible than we even know. And I definitely always tend to tend towards the idea that it's all kind of connected and like very difficult to explain. And yeah, maybe there's like aliens on another planet, but I definitely am more into like kind of interdimensional camp, I feel like. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And we talked about Hellier too. And Mm -hmm. and that sort of our our love for the concept that's showcased so nicely in Hellier, which is that like there is this connection among all paranormal phenomena. Right. And I love that. And I love talking to people who think that way because, and I'm sure you know this, like a lot of this is factioned out, right? Like Mm -hmm. only the cryptid people like cryptids. They think the other stuff is stupid and only alien, you know, it's like, get out of here though. Like, can you explain any of them? No. So maybe they're connected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just makes more sense to me. And I guess like I'm one of those people where it's like, I don't really like black and white answers and like, I don't really trust them. So of course, Mm -hmm. if someone's like, it could be that there's a real creature, you know, this Bigfoot, or it could be that it's much, much weirder and more complex and tied into everything else. Of course, I'm going to go with the like much weirder version just because it makes more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think we have to be careful with the the black and white ideas about this stuff, because mm-hmm. I think that's projecting our like narrow way of th- it's almost like the limbic brain. It's just like that old <laughs> lizard back there right. trying to make sense of something. And so 
Right. Like I think the the wisest thing probably to do is be like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm never going to know, but I'm going to try to know as much as I possibly can in this mm-hmm. lifetime. And even if I know it or you know it, we might be like unable for the rest of our lives to convince anybody else. So right. It's yeah. A, it's a wild ride. This, really this is a is. weird world we're in. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want it any other way, you know? It would be very depressing if everything was exactly as it seemed and that's it. Yeah, that would be really sad. sad. That'd be super sad. Well, I want to go into the major spokes of the paranormal world. But first, I want to go back to like your personal experiences. Mm -hmm. So you said that you kind of felt like something was sneaking up behind you, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. But have you ever had sleep paralysis? Not to my knowledge, no. No. Okay. No. And, and it's interesting because like the building that I lived in that old medical school building, there were a lot of ghost stories about people like we are waking up with sleep paralysis type things going on or waking up and seeing like the rooms were lofted. So there was like an upstairs and a downstairs and they would wake up and see like the faces of medical students watching them as if they were being dissected. That was a really big story in that building. I never had anything like that happen. Lucky you, huh? Yes. (laughs) So it was a scary enough place to live without having that happen. Seriously. So now I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Hmm. you said in the pre-call that of you and your wife, you Mm -hmm. are the less sensitive, right? So you're the more logical one. Do you think that that plays a, a role in why you don't really have as many, I don't know, intense experiences? Maybe. I think for me, it's like, yeah, I I just am so likely to dismiss my own experiences and kind of just doubt myself. Whereas someone like my wife is very sensitive. She can say with a lot of certainty, like, no, I'm sure that, you know, this thing happened and that thing was weird and there was something paranormal behind it. Whereas I so often try to rationalize things to myself. And there's plenty of things that have happened to me where I can't rationalize it. I'm like, no, that that's weird. But I think it has to be much more obvious for me than it might have to for someone more sensitive like my wife. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. So I feel like I kind of oscillate between, Mm -hmm. you know, the archetype of you and the archetype of your wife. Right. Because I am very sensitive, but I often like many people do like push it down because I'm afraid of having some of the more like palpable experiences, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, a medical st- school student hovering over me at night with a scalpel or whatever. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I think I am more likely to be like, hmm, I heard something weird. It was probably the neighbor or like maybe not even go through that, you know, line of thought because I'm like, oh, there's a weird sound. I don't even hear it because I'm used to the neighbor being loud or whatever. So I think like our apartment, I would say is definitely haunted. And it's like the things that have happened in our apartment, they are like the things I can't rationalize where a lot of time I hear something and I'm like, I turn because I think my wife is standing right there and there's nobody there. And like Mm -hmm. in those instances where I'm like, it's not just footsteps. It's like, I felt someone walk up to me. I heard it. Mm -hmm. I think she's standing right there and nobody's there. It's like that. It needs to be like that level of intense for me. I feel like to, to be able to be like, yeah, maybe something is odd here. Yeah. Yeah. I know you love doing the Estes method. Mm -hmm. Have you tried it in your apartment to speak to this possible intelligent entity? Yes. I play around a lot with like a solo version of the Estes method where Hmm. I basically I came up with a list of like a hundred and something questions including some repeats phrased different ways, recorded each of them individually, tacked on some silence at the end of each track, put them on shuffle, you know, plug myself into the spirit box and record basically like the questions on shuffle with my responses. And it's basically the best way I could think of to do the Estes method alone. And there's a lot of drawbacks to it, but sometimes interesting things have happened. And I should have reread my notes about this before this conversation, but I have tried it in our apartment just once. And I did get some pretty unsettling answers. It was kind of like weird. It felt a little bit like an entity was being like a little bit like sexually weird. Uh, So it like made me pretty uncomfortable. And and so I have not tried it again in this apartment um, because I like to preserve the idea that whatever entity is haunting our apartment is friendly and not not creepy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely have like had some interesting things pop up in those sessions. I don't think it's as good as doing the Estes method normally because you can't ask follow-up questions. It's just 
you know, mm-hmm. pre-recorded tracks on shuffle. Yeah. Among still, many other drawbacks, but yeah, still cool still interesting. that you came up with that. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. pretty rad. I don't think it's my own invention. I'm sure other people have, have done similar things. I just haven't really seen people talking about it. But yeah. yeah. Just in case the listeners don't know oh, what yeah. the Estes method is, let's just go through it. Yeah, sure. So there's a thing called a spirit box. It scans through radio stations. It was popularized, what, like in the 2000s with like ghost hunting shows and mm-hmm. stuff. But it's pretty unreliable and not very credible because you can kind of just ask it questions and hear what you want to hear. So the Estes method, I think was developed during the filming of Spirits of the Stanley. Um, yeah, with which is like a miniseries. And yeah, Peter, right? Yeah. yeah. And an- another person too, whose name I'm, I'm blanking on. That other yeah. human that we yes. forgot about. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, there's also a book written by two, two people I can't remember the names of kind of around the same time called, I think it's called like the double blind ghost box. And that describes something very, very similar to the Estes method, not exactly the same, but similar. So I know other people were coming up with stuff like that at the time as well. And basically the idea is to take out the possibility that you're just hearing what you want to hear by having one person plugged into the spirit box, wearing noise blocking headphones So they can't hear what questions are being asked and someone asks the questions and the person who's plugged into the spirit box says whatever they hear. And if there's an interesting conversation, then it's much more credible than just a bunch of people listening for something that makes sense out of a spirit box, knowing what questions have been asked. Yeah, that was very concise. I also love the Estes method. Do you, can you remember off the top of your head the weirdest one you've ever had? The weirdest one I've ever had, it wasn't a solo one. It was like the first time I I ever tried the Estes method. It was my wife and a friend and I all went to Salem and stayed at the Hawthorne Hotel, which is like a famous haunted hotel. And we did a session and I at least had done no research about Salem beforehand. Didn't really know much about it or about the hotel or anything. And we started getting all these answers from the spirit box. And my wife was the one who was uh, plugged into the spirit box. We started getting all these answers about like, you know, fishing, water, drowning, squid fishing in particular, like all this stuff. And we were kind of like, that's really weird. And we also got, I think, I think the building had like six floors and there was something about like seven. And we were kind of like, oh, that's weird. There's not, there's not a seventh floor, et cetera. And kind of coming out of the session, we were like, that, that was kind of weird. It was all very like of a piece, but it didn't really make sense to us. And then we started Googling and found that squid fishing was a thing in the area. Fishing was a big thing in the area. You could tell I'm not from the Northeast and didn't know that in that part of Massachusetts, that was a big thing. And then I did some more digging and found that there was a Mariners club or there still is like a Mariners organization that meets in like a, basically like a cabin on the roof of the hotel. The seven floor. Yeah. And so it was, it was so weird because it gave us all this information about the hotel and about the area that we just didn't know. I think that's when like the paranormal is the most fun to me when it, it gives me something that makes sense, but that also helps me learn about history and like the history of a place. Cause I don't think we would have found out that information just, you know, reading the stories of haunted Salem. So it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. And I think it's magical when you actually find something that Mm -hmm. lines up and you just feel that stir of excitement. You know, there's a ton of times where I've had like incredible past life regressions or Mm -hmm. sessions or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go look it up. And then there's nothing there. And it doesn't mean that there wasn't ever anything there because obviously a lot of records, when you go back, they're not really, Mm -hmm. they they don't exist, but it's still really cool when something does exist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's such a cool feeling to to like find the family that they were referring to or whatever. Mm-hmm. History and the paranormal. You love where they intersect. That's kind of yeah. your jam, right? So D- did you say you went to school for history? I studied English, but, you know, okay. Fordham's one of those schools with a big core curriculum. So, so I did end up taking a lot of history classes and stuff, too. Is that how you approach a paranormal investigation is more from like a historical sort of standpoint? Probably. Like, you know, in the instance of Salem, I didn't do any prior research and all the research I did was afterwards. But like when I do research for my podcasts and stuff, I usually do start with the history. I'm just like 
someone who loves to jump down a rabbit hole and dig through like old newspaper articles, books, and just kind of like see what weird things I can find. Like living in New York City, it's cool to look at things that are local just because like there's so much history to every part of the city and not all of it's necessarily tied in with the paranormal, but almost all of it's very weird. So it's definitely a lot of fun to dig into. Yeah. So when one of the things that you've gone on a major deep dive about is this goat man's bridge. Yes. And I, I went back and, and listened to a little bit of that first episode. And I think you, you mm-hmm. have a few. It's like four or something. Oh, I think I did like nine. Nine? <laughs> I did a lot of it. I, like I said, I really like to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I have a lot of, I love to dump all the information I can find into my episodes. Although actually I have more information than I, than I have put out so far about the Goatman's Bridge, but I've just had to take a break because the history is like pretty upsetting. So I'll probably return to that series. But yeah. yeah. So I told you, I was like, oh, I'm going to go poke my mm-hmm. historian friend who also happens to be a paranormal investigator as well and researcher. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great because I know that she's mentioned the Goatman's Bridge. So I contacted her and my other friend who also mm-hmm. knows about this shit. And they were both like, oh, you mean the Poplick monster? Oh, and yeah. Because there's like, a lot of Goatman's Bridge. And then I was like, oh, Thanks. okay. So there's a big Goatman situation mm-hmm. here. And this is called also called the Poplick. So I was barking up the entirely wrong tree. And I, and <laughs> I, I thought like, you might say that. Yeah. Oh, well, shit. So, and this one specifically here in. I think it's in Louisville or it's like close by. Um, right. There's there's a bridge and, and they were like, well, there's lots of goat mans around, but this one's the best because they actually have a death here. Mm-hmm. So there was a death that has been yeah. like, no one knows how that person died, I don't think. And like weird stuff happens over these train tracks every year. And so there's a lot of weird shit about it. So now I need to go on a deep dive of that location, actually go there. But tell me about your... I know it's so yeah. much, but like just the just the brief <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. synopsis of your goat man. Yeah. So yeah, there's like a ton of goat men all around the US and there's like multiple ones in North Texas. But the most famous one is the old Alton Bridge. So like it's been featured on Ghost Adventures, it's been featured on BuzzFeed Unsolved. Like that's where people know about it. And the whole thing was interesting to me because, you know, I grew up in North Texas. I grew up, it turns out, very, very close to the Goatman's Bridge. And I had no idea it existed until 2019 when I was listening to a podcast. And it mentioned it was all about this Goatman's Bridge right where I grew up. And, you know, I left Texas in the late 2000s. And I was just baffled because I was like, how was there such a famous haunted thing very close to where I grew up and I have never heard of it. And basically, as far as I can tell, it seems like in 2008, someone posted a YouTube video about it that kind of like made it much more popular and kind of everything after that has kind of pulled from this YouTube video and kind of codified one version of the legend. But there is a urban legend about the bridge. There's a couple different versions of it. And I guess like content note for like white supremacy and racist violence. But the story goes that in the 1930s, there was a black man named Oscar Washburn who had a successful business as a goat herder. And he lived near the bridge and he was called the goat man. And of course, the KKK in the area did not like that there was a successful black man in their midst. So they lynched him by hanging him off the bridge. Hmm. And supposedly, as the story goes, you know, they check the noose and he's no longer there. And the story goes that either in retaliation or to goad him into coming out of hiding, if he was hiding somewhere, they murdered his wife and children as well. So really horrific story. And there's all this standard urban legend stuff about the bridge. You know, like if you go out on the bridge and knock a certain number of times, you'll summon the goat man, etc. But The thing that's interesting to me about this story is that, you know, this is in the county I grew up in, Denton County, and the story has always been for most of the 20th century into the 21st that the KKK had no presence in Denton and that like racial violence was not a big problem there. Turns out that is not true. And there's been a lot of research done in the last few years by students at the University of North Texas in Denton that has shown that 
while there may not have been a historical person named Oscar Washburn, the KKK had its own chapter in Denton. They were extremely active. They murdered a lot of people and also had a large hand in destroying the Black community in Denton. And so it's kind of a really horrifying but interesting instance of this part of history that was completely buried because, you know, the KKK members tended to be people in power in the Mm -hmm. area. So they were able to completely bury this history. And it just bubbled up in this story of this urban legend that, you know, was kind of like a, quote, fun urban legend for teenagers, you know, like go and hang out at the bridge and It's interesting because there's this folklorist who wrote this book called The Vanishing Hitchhiker, and he studied a lot of, you know, urban legends in America. His name was, I don't know if he's still alive or not. I don't think he is, was Jan Harold Brunvand. And he talks about how some urban legends function as like folk news. So it's like a way to transmit news and stories that have been buried or hidden. And I think the story of the Goatman's Bridge is a really good example of that. Though, of course, it's surfaced the story, but also it's made it seem fake because you can be like, oh, yeah, this story of racial violence in the area, it's just as fake as any urban legend or ghost story. Mm. So it's really great that these students at the University of North Texas have unearthed like the real history of the area that was buried for so long. And, you know, there's tons of record loss in the area, et cetera. So just like fascinating to me that this thing that is kind of like this big paranormal story has this very deep and upsetting history. And like, who knows, maybe a lot of that would have been forgotten if like teenagers in the area weren't telling this story for the last few decades. Yeah. I love that concept of the folk news. And I Mm -hmm. saw that on your podcast and that's amazing. I mean, like, do you think then that somebody actually, like just your opinion, do you think somebody Mm -hmm. actually did see the lynching and it got around like the scuttlebutt of the town at the time? And it just sort of was like an oral tradition that like was passed and passed and it was a game of telephone. And by the time it got to the end, it was like, now there is a goat man who, who wants So my opinion is that probably the story of Oscar Washburn is totally apocryphal because the KKK was extremely active in the area in the 1920s. But my understanding is that by the 30s, when this event supposedly took place, they were less influential in the area. And it seemed like a lot of the like racial murders that happened were in more in the 20s. So to me, I feel like it's just a reflection of like the long history of racial violence that happened in the area. There's also like another version of the legend that takes place in the 19th century about as you know a similar instance and it takes place during this period in Texas history that I did not learn about in any of my Texas history classes in mm-hmm. Texas um, mm-hmm. called the Texas Terrors which was basically like a panic where a bunch of, you know, white supremacists killed a bunch of Black people and a bunch of like white abolitionists in the area just because of this panic. Like there were some fires and then there's, you know, conspiracy theories about who's who set off off these fires. And so there's like a story about one of the victims of that supposedly haunting the bridge. So to me, it feels like just like these dark chapters of Texas history have gotten attached to the location. Some people remembered that as much as, you know, that stuff was intentionally buried you know, not even taught in the multiple years of Texas history that I had to take in public school in Texas. But I don't really think that the literal figures in the urban legends were real people. Yeah. Have you been to the bridge and does it feel weird? Yes. Yeah. I went to the bridge for the first time last December and yeah, the vibes feel off there. It, (laughs) It was not very pleasant. It's kind of a hiking area now. So the bridge is right by like the parking lot where you park and then hike. The area is not very well maintained. It was like very muddy. I've read like a ton of reviews, like Google reviews, Yelp reviews of the area. It sounds like during the summer, it's just like a bunch of teenagers partying and like shooting off guns and stuff. So, you know, I think it's a place to proceed with caution for people who might want to investigate. But yes, I've been there once. It didn't feel good. Did it not feel good from a paranormal standpoint or from like a a bunch of like weird and I mean and this is where it's like (laughs) what is what right like Mm -hmm. is it it because of all the kids that are there that are like doing stupid shit and firing off guns and there's that like frenetic energy that's kind of an imprint in the air or Mm -hmm. is it you know that there really does feel like there might be something intelligent there 
Yeah. I don't know about intelligent or not. I, I felt like there was something off on like a paranormal type way. And I don't think it was just me reacting to like teenagers hanging out there. Actually, a lot of the graffiti there, you know, some of it was not so great. Some of it was like very like a cab anti-capitalist type stuff. So okay. I was more disposed to feel favorably towards a lot of the kids leaving graffiti. So mm. I don't think it was just me reacting to like a place where a bunch of teenagers hang out. I think something felt amiss there. And like, as soon as we got there, my wife was like, where did you take us? Because <laughs> it's possible that I didn't tell my family why I wanted to go hiking <laughs> in this area near where my parents live. And they were like, wait, where did you drag us? So was it at we night were there. Or daytime? It was during the day. It was okay. during the day. But still, it, it didn't feel good there. And they were so like, we were, the we were there maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were all of them. My dad was more into it. He's more into this stuff. But my mom and my wife were like, okay, I think it's time to go. <laughs> Got to get out of here. Please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm always really into places that make you feel that way during the day. Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. really find that that, to me, means that there's been a compounded amount of paranormal energy. Um, right. And so much so that it doesn't matter if you're there at night or not. Well, what do you think about that? Why do you think paranormal stuff happens more at night or does it? Is it just yeah. that we're more like tuned in? Our senses are more tuned in because we've been taught and through social, you know, conditioning to to be freaked out at that time. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably biased because I'm an early riser and I don't like being up late at night, but <laughs> I tend to think that paranormal things can happen any time of day, but that could just be me being biased because I don't want to investigate at night because I'm tired and I want to be sleeping. <laughs> <I'm tired. laughs> but yeah, I, I think that people are just primed to be more afraid at night. Things are quieter at night. You know, it makes, it makes sense that Maybe if something might be in hiding during the day because people are out and about, maybe it would come out at night. Like I can see it from a logical standpoint, but also, I don't know. I just tend to be of the opinion that if there's something weird with a place, it's probably present no matter what. But like maybe if it's a place with a lot of foot traffic, you're just not going to encounter it the same way during the day when a bunch of people are around as you would at night. Yeah. But it's just an opinion and I, yeah. I am biased. Yeah, that's what I I think you're right. You know, then you kind of go into the territory of like we were talking about before, like Bigfoot might be an actual thing. If it is mm -hmm. an actual thing, then it's probably going to most likely come out at night. So, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of people think myself included, depending on the day that there are laws in the universe that prohibit them being involved with us mm -hmm. a lot. And right. that like every so often there's a crisscross, but it's kind of usually an accident or, mm -hmm. you know, it's saved for a very select few people or or whatever. Like, again, all this stuff, you kind of get to this point where you're just like, no clue. Right. I had a bunch of synchronicities when I was editing this episode. The night before, I had a TikTok come through my feed that was about The Exorcist, which I know I like paranormal stuff, but to be honest, I only have follow the woo TikTok. So a lot of my personal stuff is on there too that feeds my algorithm, which is like cats and politics and funny lesbians and things like that. And like I said to Chris in this episode, I'm not really into horror stuff. So the fact that it was on my For You page at all was kind of unusual. And I wasn't even going to watch it. It popped up and I almost scrolled through it. But it was the text at the top of the screen that really grabbed me. And it was the actor being interviewed. And she talks about the actual death that happened during the filming of that movie. And there are so many people who know far more than I do. But I was just so perplexed by that TikTok. You know, and this is much to my wife's dismay. Right when it's time to go to bed, I'm like, let's talk about philosophy. <laughs> and my wife is like, no, I want to go to bed. And I, I kind of convinced her to, to talk about it a bit. And it, it is so fascinating. Do you believe we can actually be fully possessed? Is evil something that's outside of who we are? Or is it something that we manifest collectively through our ignorance and hate? You know, like a tulpa. Do we create the dang thing? Or is it both? I'm kind of inclined to think that it's both. Like Chris said, I don't think anything's black and white, especially when it comes to the paranormal. So anyway, I was looking at this TikTok and I interviewed Chris months ago. So I had really forgotten what we talked about. And so the first thing that pops up is The Exorcist. 
And then Chris starts talking about a solo Estes session. And I just did my first solo Estes session just a couple weeks ago. I didn't use the method that Chris mentions in this episode because I didn't know that it existed because I forgot. And in part two of this chat, we talk about the Hawthorne Hotel, which is a haunted hotel in Salem. And for my birthday, which is on December 27th, the coolest gift that I was given was a gift to Salem with reservations at the Hawthorne Hotel. And then throughout this conversation, I was thinking of another paranormal researcher. I won't mention their name, but I kept having this really strong feeling, oh, I really need to reach out to them, really need to reach out to them. And then when I went back to look at Chris's bio, I noticed that they're published in the same book that this other paranormal researcher is published in. But yeah, so just all those things. And I really encourage you, if you experience things like that, follow them, listen, pay attention. So I guess I'll leave you with that. And I will encourage you to tune into part two, which will be out next week. We talk more about the haunted apartment, rando nodding, which is something that we did during the documentary. And definitely check out Buried Secrets podcast. You can become a patron on their Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Buried Secrets podcast. Hold on to your butts both cheeks really tightly and there'll be more woo for you next week. Bye! Thank you for following the woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 